Welcome in to Two Foreign Drafts. Austin Gale here with my co-host Mike Renner on Two Foreign Drafts, a Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast today. The classic listener mailbag. We did a bonus on Tuesday. This is the traditional weekly mailbag and answer your guys' questions. Remember, if you want your questions answered on the mailbag, go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review, and put your question in there. We will get to it. We had a lot of reviews coming yesterday. We are a bit backlogged, but maybe we'll get another bonus episode in. Who knows? We'll get to the listener questions today. And then also at the back end of the podcast, uh, interviews with former Washington cornerback safety Elijah Molden and former USC defensive tackle Marlon Tuipolotu. Let's get it. There's no other way we can really start this, Mike. How did the date with the 20-year-old oh. soccer player go? Okay, not 20 years old again, to be clear. 22. It went good. <laughs> honestly, it, honestly, it was probably the best first date I've ever been on. But wow. not a high bar, as we know after my previous date stories. So, yeah, it was great. I mean, things went well. I think for the podcast listeners, we have to play this clip. Because you're 30. She's 22. 22. I think we need to play that clip, Quinn, from Dazed and Confused, Matthew McConaughey, the, we don't the high school to. girls no, clip. We don't, definitely don't have to. If you were going to put it in, put it in now. That's what I love about these high school girls, man. I get older, they stay the same age. They just don't <laughs> yes, they do. Yes, they do. <laughs> Thank you, Quinn. Really appreciate that. Um, I have some stories to rip. My mom is officially out of Cincinnati. She's flying back to California. She's from the Fresno area. But I didn't tell these stories on the Wednesday pod because you had the first date story. I have these. I took her out, pitchers of margaritas at a local restaurant here in Cincinnati and got her finally open up. And to preface this, this is the first time my mom and I have hung out for more than like a meal as adult, like as adults since I was like 16. Like it's been a long time since I talked to her, like 10 plus years. Um, so I've never really gotten any of the background or like the mm-hmm. timeline. Like the only car thieving story I've got from her is the one I was there yeah. where she stole a U-Haul. Like that's the only one I've got. So she told me some other stories about stealing cars and all this crazy stuff and said a bunch of crazy stuff as well, like random drug stories anyway. But she told me the playbook, the thieving Grand Theft Auto playbook. Oh, nice. And she step said, step. yeah, step one, you never bring the stolen car home, which I felt like is obvious, but yeah. it's nice to have a step one. You never bring it home. You park step- it outside PFF is the car we saw this morning. <laughs> yes. Step two, if anything on the car breaks down, flat tire, it starts to smoke, whatever, you have to ditch it. It's not worth it. It's not worth calling AAA or getting a tow truck or trying to make salvage it. It doesn't matter if it's like the nicest car in the world. Step three, gloves if you can, but Vaseline is cheaper. You can get Vaseline on your hands and wipe down the steering wheel and it's good to go. And it helps you like grease some of the things in there or something. I don't know. That was like the first three steps. You had a handful of other rules. Never steal How with a buddy. How is Vaseline cheaper than just one pair I of have gloves? no idea. I have no idea. I, but then she told, I was like, give me another like wild one. You know, give me the U-Haul one was crazy, but give me another wild one. Apparently she was going like coming out of Walmart and she does this to this day. We were walking around Cincinnati and she'll go into a parking lot. She's like, I know which car I steal in this lot. It's like, oh my God, dude, you're Jonesing, man. <laughs> Ease up, kid. Recovering Ease up. But she goes into the parking lot and she's she's like, there was a 67 Camaro drop top. She like rattles it off like draft prospect traits. Like just like <laughs> crankshaft. I don't know if about cars, but she's like, this thing was cherry. Redshirt junior. She jumps in. She's able to jump into it and steal it and run it very quickly. And she's bolting out of there. But the cops, it was a bay car. Cops were like, had it, had it there for her or for someone to steal. She was already on Manteca's most wanted list at this time, still running it. She comes in, cops are right there. She's like, damn it, bait car. 
drives and dodges them by going like around the block and then back into that same parking lot, drives behind the Walmart, sneaks in through the back employee entrance, calls her friend. His name's Mike. I don't know him. Calls her friend, Mike. Maybe it's me. Could have been Quinn. <laughs> he comes to pick her up. And as she's driving out, she's like, ah, it's got a flat tire. Cause she was thinking about getting back in it, you know, like maybe trying to run it back. So then she goes out, Vaseline's the steering wheel, grabs any stuff that she had in there and, and makes it move. But uh, she's, she's telling me all these stories over a pitch of margaritas and I'm just cracking up laughing. Everyone's looking at us crazy. And, and um, she ends up saying, she's like, and I never got caught either. I was like, didn't you go to prison? She's like, yeah, three times. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> she's like, I don't know, man. It was, it was crazy. She, stole a fake? she just told you a story about a fake car. I know. I don't know what's going on. Is your mom Nicolas Cage from she Gone 60 Seconds? Nicolas Cage. She Bait might car? be Did you ever watch the show Bait Car? Yeah, yeah, I have. It was all-time hangover show watching. Like that in Bar Rescue on a Sunday. Yeah, that's true. Either one of those is just perfect way to pass the day. Either way, I have all that it takes now to steal a car if I ever have to. Nice. Or my mom could steal it for me. Who knows? But she's we, now hey, out of Cincinnati. Now great, we don't have great to rent a car in Mobile next year. Dude, we were also talking, the last thing about my mom, because she said this, it was fucking hilarious. Um, she was talking, we were talking about like gateway drugs. And I was like, you know, you start smoking cigarettes. And she's like, I was yeah. like, a gateway drug to eating worse food and stuff like that. And she's like, yeah, gateway drugs like crank. And I was like, what are you talking about? Gateway crank is not, I don't even know what crank is. <laughs> I think crank is where you go to die. I don't know yeah. if that's the move, but uh, man, she was funny. It was cool to hit. It was cool to see her. That's for sure. Um, mailbag baby let's, let's get, get right into this mailbag should be a fun time here remember if you want to get your questions answered on the mailbag it's not a youtube comment it's not an ig dm it's not a linkedin dm go to apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review and drop your question in there that's what helps the podcast most it's not because we don't like the ig dms i love the ig dms but if you want to help support the podcast we need them in apple Podcasts to help with the ratings and those things all right this is from mick saquon I have David Montgomery and Chase Claypool and the 1.11 and the 3.11. I think those are picks for my upcoming rookie draft. I think this is dynasty. I really would like to trade these players to get into the first four picks so I can secure Jamar Chase. I desperately need a wide receiver too to help get my team into the championship. Do you all think I should continue pursuing this trade? If not, which rookie prospect would have the best value at 1.11? Also, which rookie would be the best dart throw at 3.11? We should really have clarified at some point. We, I don't know shit about fantasy. I don't know either. I don't want to tell this guy the wrong news. I, I, yeah, like I don't want to act like I'm above fantasy. I'm not. I enjoy playing low-key fantasy football with my friends. I am not dynasty guy. I'm not daily fantasy guy. But I, I, I applaud those guys. Those yeah. guys who put the effort in to like, be like diehard dynasty players. Like It's a fucking grind. What I will say to answer this, because like I said, I don't know shit about the value of 111 and 3.11, whatever Same. that's going to be. But I will say, I think Chase Claypool is going to be the number one receiver in Pittsburgh. He has the most sort of universal skill set. No more Juju Smith shooter there. Deontay Johnson's nice, but that dude is unreliable as hell. So I think Chase Claypool is going to be the target share winner in that receiving group next season. And then the other thing is Jamar Chase, there's no security that he goes to a good situation. If he goes to Miami, he's maybe the number two there with Devontae Parker as the number one. If he goes to the Eagles, he has Jalen Hurts throwing him the football in a former first-rounder last year, and Jalen Rager, like, that's not going to be a pass-heavy offense. What about Cincinnati? If he goes to Cincinnati, that's your home run. That's what you're But I think Debbie or Dynasty drafts draft before the draft. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. You don't necessarily know. 
I don't I think, think you want to be getting out Claypool's, of Chase Claypool. Claypool's a nice situation where you know it's going to be a pass-heavy offense. He's going to get the hard target share. So I'd, I would struggle to... Getting out of David Montgomery trying to, is trying smart. To, uh, I'd struggle to flip Claypool for the chance for Jamar Chase for the then chance that he goes to a good situation. I do think trying to get out of David Montgomery could make sense because that offense is just not going to be good. Yeah, I think this is a nice sell high for Montgomery if you can. Yeah. All right, let's jump out of Mick Saquon and go to Zuzu Pedals. This is from February 3rd. We're catching up, fellas. We might do another bonus next week. We're in the Who same knows? month. We're in the same month. We're in the same month. Love the podcast. Keeps getting better and becoming my first listen from PFF Podcast Family. My question about last year's second round. There's so much analysis of round one and how round one guys performed. Who are you most excited about from last year's second round? I'd love any comments on Duggar and who might be high-impact players in the second round in 2021. I'm excited for Duggar. I thought he played really well. He just didn't have quite as big a role as like a Jeremy Chin did in that defense, and I think he will year two. And we obviously were, we were higher on Duggar coming out than we were Chin, so I I'd ex- just would expect him to excel in year two. Excited to look for – excited to see what he does. The names I highlighted, though, for this, Grant Delpit, torn Achilles, didn't see him. This will be basically like his rookie year for the Browns, but they need safety help there. LaVisca Chenault getting Trevor Lawrence to throw him the rock a little bit more this year in a new offense and just him pairing with Urban Meyer and what we know he's been able to do with playmakers over the course of his tenure as a head coach. And then Willie Gay, linebacker, another guy who you know saw the field in a limited role for the Chiefs. I think they're going to want him to see the field in much more full-time role in 2021. Just to see if, because he looked good when he was on the field, but just again, not a lot of tape for him. Those are the three guys I really am looking forward to. I I think it's important too to highlight some of the guys that have already performed well, and I'm excited to watch in in the second round. Like Antoine Winfield Jr. had a really good rookie season. It's going to continue to play better. Push his ceiling, sort of thing. Yeah, Jalen Johnson is another guy that was drafted in the second round last year. A name you didn't mention, Michael Pittman Jr. Keeping the number 11 jersey in Indy. He's and the one, and he should be the guy in Indy next year. I think Michael Pittman Jr. is another name. Do you have any names that could be getting drafted in the second round this year that you feel like will be values at that spot? Oh fuck, put me on the spot right there. He asked that question. Too. That was from Zuzu. Did he? And, and who and might be high impact guys from the 2021 second round? Oh, God damn it. I, I, didn't I think the part. tackle class makes sense. If yeah. you see like a Walker Little, Leatherwood, um, Cosme fall to the second round, I think those are the guys that at the top I would feel yeah. being impact guys. Yeah, I was looking later. through the 2020 draft and seeing Robert Hunt was the only interior offensive lineman drafted last year in the second round. And I was just like thinking to myself, I'm like, there are going to be a lot more interior offensive lineman drafted this year in the second round. So. so the offensive position. line. Yeah. I think looking at our big board too, our Darius Washington, if he falls out of the first round, I know you're a big fan of his. He could fall out of that second or he third round. Third, yeah, because yeah, people just don't like the size there. Um, Jabril Cox is another name in that range that I think could be a really good player. Um, let's jump now to Her- Harut Turumirian. Whew, that can't be right. That, I was doing everything fine. I could there. That was everything I had. Love the pod. Can you guys do a more in-depth analysis on why Trevor Lawrence is such a good quarterback? <sighs> I'm, gl- I'm so glad you asked. Yes, I may. Um, it's the biggest thing with him compared to everyone else is the NFL-y things that you do. There's a lot more that goes into playing the quarterback position than just being accurate and having a strong arm. That's a good base. That was, you know, Baker Mayfield had that coming out of Oklahoma. He didn't have the other small aspects that you need to play quarterback in the NFL. Like, you need to be able to navigate a tight pocket com- with poise i think daniel jeremiah i saw a tweet from him his number one trait when evaluating quarterbacks is poise are you composed and not you know panicky 
or like seeing ghosts, that sort of thing. That matters so much at the quarterback position, and that has been him since he was a true freshman playing against Alabama. The biggest, that's like his biggest thing compared to everyone else. And then the second biggest thing that I think is different from college to the pro is just the speed you have to play with. In the NFL, if you get three seconds in a pocket on a normal drop back concept, that's a win for your offensive line. Your offensive line did a good job on that play. Three seconds in college is, I mean, the vast majority of Justin Fields dropbacks on like normal concepts. We're taking more than three seconds. That's just, you're having to play a different game once you get to the NFL in terms of the speed. Trevor Lawrence already plays at that speed in college. Those to me are the two biggest things that are kind of, why do you feel so good about Trevor Lawrence? That's why. And, and Stephen Ruiz, who's a good follow on Twitter, was recently dropping some you know highlights of Trevor Lawrence and some of the crazy throws he's made. I think people are forgetting because we everyone's talking about Trey Lance's arm talent, yeah. Zach Wilson coming up boards, all that stuff. Like people are forgetting this yeah, might was... be the best off-platform thrower of the group, and it, it, I mean it's yeah. not even his biggest strength. You know he played in the NFL offense; he's very accurate, but like he is a very good off-platform thrower, can fl- throw out of structure, has all the arm talent you need to like be really successful at the next level. I think athleticism for him gets underrated. You know he is like legitimately fast. Like yeah, he like he has it all. Every all the there's no there's not like a weakness that you you point to and say he has to ch- change this at the NFL level. Mm, no, everything's kind of there to succeed right away. So. I, I think. He is the first quarterback in a long time, maybe since Andrew Luck, where you could feel comfortable saying he's a complete quarterback prospect. You can yeah. use the word complete with him and not feel yeah. like an asshole. And I'd also throw in the fact that Clemson's offense compared to Alabama's offense this year, LSU's last year, they're not particularly innovative. They're still doing a lot of ISO routes on the outside, asking their, basically saying, hey, wide receiver, you go win this, beat this guy. And that's... You know, that's a lot of what the NFL is, too. You're going to have to trust your guys to win, and you're going to have to find the most favorable matchup in those ISO situations at the end of the day in the NFL. That still is a thing that has to happen. A lot of offenses like, like I said, Alabama, LSU, that wasn't necessarily the case with the innovation or the innovativeness, shall we say, that they were putting against the college defenses. All right, next one from T Boogie nine. Hey guys, the pod is awesome. My question is outside of Jamar chase, which receiver in this draft would have the best fit with Joe Burrow. Also outside of offensive tackle, which position should the Bengals prioritize in upgrading this off season? Who day was this from producer Mike Quinn? Do you go by T Boogie on the weekends? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> I, no, it's not me. I think Devontae's, I mean, just a good number one receiver. Yeah. Devontae Smith guy that can win on the outside. Yeah. And, Devontae Smith has a big catch race, can win in contested situations too. You're not like it's not a completely different type of wide receiver, Devontae Smith and Jamar Chase. They have the reason they're both coveted so highly is because they have such complete skill sets. So yeah, I think Javante, Devontae Smith, excuse me, would be the other guy I'd say fits very well with Joe Burr if you're gonna take a wide receiver. Outside of OT, where would I prioritize? I do I, I like Quinn's theory of all in offense. Go all in on this offense see where you can push this offense and then try to scrounge up whatever you can with the guys you've picked in recent years defensively. If I am going to address one position defensively, I would, I would kind of try to keep what I had already in Carl Lawson, William Jackson. I think those are very good players and it's just good business and helps you in the long run to try to keep your own guys. I think for a like morale standpoint, 
if you're at a franchise that is known for extending and keeping guys in-house, that's just a good team-building aspect. Like, the guys want to play for teams like that. They got that new ring of honor. You got to have somebody yeah. to put it You want to get in the ring of honor? Yeah. You want to so be real? a Cincy legend? Was that real? And did they, or did someone Photoshop that in? I saw there's some uh, controversy so I, around that. I think it was. I think it was a real picture, and I think what the, this is just speculation. Obviously, this, there's no way to confirm this, but I think it was real. I think somebody from the social team took a picture. Those didn't realize were it. already in place. Didn't realize it. They took it down. They put up another picture with those shopped out. Yeah. So you can kind of see into the stadium, right? If you that's go what I'm to, saying. You could go. I mean, it's it might be covered up now, but you could go. Like we could walk down there in 15 minutes. Let's go make minutes. a play. It's like a, yeah, not it's a, like a, idea, yeah. a two for one draft trip to investigative reporting. Exclusive. <laughs> yeah. I love it. All right, this is from Go Dogs four one seven. Subject line: Go Dogs. Just started listening, but I love the pod so far. I wonder what this question is going to be about. I'm a huge Georgia fan, so I'm wondering where you think the big guys coming out next year will go in terms of draft order. JT Daniels, Jordan Davis, Samir White. Also, if you could give a top five quarterbacks list in next year's draft, keep up the awesome work and go dogs. Next question is about the dogs, too. Let's ask the next one. In. Oh, okay, so the next question is also dogs. This is from Gurley17. Best draft podcast out there. Love all the stories and thorough player analysis leading up to draft day. As a UGA fan, what are y'all's impressions of JT Daniels? And are there any UGA players that have caught your eye for future drafts? Yeah, Thanks. so the guy who's caught my eye is Dominic Blaylock. Wide receiver towards ACL last year. But as a freshman, he was, he's got that juice. What about that, the tight end? Oh, yeah. The, he's, the, no, he's, the, not, he's a true freshman. I know, but still, okay, I'm excited. But yeah. <laughs> um, Let me look up that guy again. George, I think, so if I, the order I, th- I would say they'd go in right now, or kind of just how I'd order them on a board right now. Blaylock, George Pickens, the other wide receiver there. JT Daniels. Jordan Davis, the defensive tackle, their big-ass nose tackle, and then probably Samir White. Uh, and fifth of those guys, JT Daniels, I'm not sold. He's not making my top five list here, which I'm going to unveil and veil. Even though he earned 87.4 passing grade this past season, he was just so – I just the word I wrote down was loose watching his tape. Just kind of loose down, loose decisions down the football field. He got away with it against Mississippi State because Mississippi State's secondary was – butt cheeks but in the game against Cincinnati not the same you saw him just throwing balls up for grabs down the football field and that's concerning because he was just you're not seeing cover he wasn't seeing coverages so obviously this is his first action since it was 2018 when he started as true freshman at USC and it was only a handful of games but I'm not he's not he's not making this top five list he's kind of just still a fringe prospect in my eyes who has nice arm talent but you've got to put it together so Here's top five for the 2022 NFL draft. As I see them right now, Spencer Rattler, Oklahoma. He's my guy. I don't think that one's changed. That dude's talented. Sam Howell, and he reminds me so much of Kyler Merge, the way he throws. It's insane. And he's so good outside the pocket. All right, so I got to stop talking about it. But Sam Howell, North Carolina, Keaton Slovis, USC, Emory Jones from Florida. That guy is extremely talented. I, I'm, not, I'm not putting him like in a top five, top ten conversation, but he has – those kind of tools. And then last, but certainly not least here, Malik Willis, the Liberty quarterback. I showed you a throw here this morning. From Dude's him. got a hose. <laughs> he might have the strongest arm in college football. That guy. Stronger than our guy, Big Dave? Oh, sorry, DJ. DJ Duangale- Duangale- no, DJ Uangalele? Strongest arm in that draft class, okay. if he declares. He has, that guy can spin it, man. So... And Dude, he threw. You show me the throw. You got to. I know we can't post it, but you got the. It's like a twenty-five a yard deep, deep far out hash. from the far yeah. hash, and it is on a freaking rope. Yeah, the thing probably doesn't go above ten feet in the air. Twenty-five yards out. Just yeah, insane. I have two things there. One, 
Um, Zamir White, I was looking up some advanced statistics for running backs, and he ranks really high in yards after um, yards per carry against loaded boxes and very high in yards per carry when contacted at or behind the line of scrimmage. A guy that's forced a ton of missed tackles as well. I think he's a former five-star, like, monster recruit that everyone liked. And then the tight end, who's obviously not in next year's class, but Darnell Washington. If you don't know the name, find it. He's going to be a sophomore, true sophomore this year, former consensus five-star, six foot seven, two sixty-five. Go, I think there's one highlight against Cincinnati in the bowl game. I think the Sugar Bowl or whatever it was, where you're like, who is this? It looks who like is someone's dad came yeah. out in the field. It, 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 it's, Big it, Dave out there. It's, uh, that's a name to watch out for. Darno, and he also wears number zero, which I think is awesome. Yeah. I mean, if you're a consensus five-star, you get what you want. Rocking, coming as a true freshman five-star tight end and saying, give me zero. I already love that guy. I love that guy too. All right. Let's, this is from Banks Scaff. Hey, guys, love watching the pod. I know this isn't 2021 draft class related, but who is your comp for Justin Ross, and where do you see him getting drafted? Man, so the neck injury stuff obviously going to be scary for NFL teams. has to be thoroughly vetted. I wasn't super high on him as a prospect. He's not in the mold of guys we traditionally like. We like separators. He was more of a contested catch guy. Watching his tape, Mike Floyd was the guy that came to mind, and that, that was kind of how Mike Floyd won. You just love his body control. Love the physical game he plays, but just really not a guy who got open a lot. Like I think that was Mike Floyd at Notre Dame, which funny Mike St- Floyd story to also why I love this comp from Mike Floyd. He, my freshman year, we're playing basketball at the rec center. He, the, this was probably the spring after, and he was the same grade as me at Notre Dame. Came in the same class. There was a girl playing five and five pickup. And she like played regularly at the rec center. She was was in, she good? Or, she was all right. And he dunks on her. She was he's like talking trash what? to Mike Floyd the whole game. So like talk like she was like real trash or joking trash? Like real trash. Oh wow. She's like call him scrub and whatnot. Dunks on her and says, "Bitch, get the hell out." <laughs> no <laughs> way. Do you have her number? And she did not come. I didn't actually see her after. Like she didn't play the rest of the school year. No, I swear to Michael God. Michael Floyd ended her career. Mike Floyd really like she had nothing coming back to that. It was kind of it was whole hilarious mike floyd was a he could play basketball that guy was really good this brings up something you brought up to me uh about the podcast a potential segment but having guys who are in college you know you know people listeners who are in college or out of, recently out of college bring up stories about prospects and send oh, us in yeah. the dms we wanted to do, we don't want do like it, fakers though but that was the biggest it's like someone's gonna them. say like yeah i went to clemson and i saw trevor lawrence like whatever do something stupid but like i don't if you have something real please send it our way what spurned it was someone can I tell the initial? I don't want. I don't want to. The initial ones kind it of involved bad. Carlos Basham and his roommates his freshman year. Yeah, which I thought was funny, but again, it's, but it's probably too low, low brow. Yeah. But I'd still love to see it if you have the DM. The DMs are open. The DMs are open. All right. This Carlos is from, Basham didn't have the highest of standards. Let's just say. All right, T Neck Man. <laughs> this is from T Neck Man. Hey guys, love the pod. You guys take my draft season up several notches. I'm a Jersey boy living in Cincinnati. Let's go. Hey. Yes, because of my wife we met at US, UC. Anyway, I'm a Jets fan, and I need you to humor me because I know where you stand on Darnold. If we keep Sam and trade out of two, what kind of haul could we get, and what players could you be targeting with those first and second round picks? Never stop, never, never stop, never stopping. Oh, that's a good movie. I don't know that one. Uh, anyway, oh, th- this is funny because this was on February 4th from Teaneck Man, and Mel Kuyper Jr. just came out with his latest mock draft where he has the Jets trading from two to four not grabbing a quarterback and picking up Kyle Pitts. Yeah. So answer the question first, what's your opinion of Mel Kuyper's scenario of them trading from two to four and grabbing Kyle Pitts? Again, we've banged the drum. You're, it, would be the dumb, it would be dumb to just continue to build around Sam Darnold. 
there's not a good reason to do so. Okay. That being said, the only good reason to do so is if you got what the Redskins got from the number two overall pick. Think back, 2012, RG3 trade. Redskins, Rams had the number two overall pick. Redskins had number six. To get from six to two, they gave up a sec- their second-round pick that year and then a 2013 and a 2014 first-round pick. That 2014 first-round pick ended up being the number two overall pick, and it ended up being Greg Robinson, sadly. So they kind of blew it, the Rams. But that's, that's the kind of haul if I'm the Jets – and that's gonna that's the kind of haul it's gonna take me to move out of that number two overall spot. Now, the Eagles, more realistically, what I think someone would offer is what the Eagles gave up for to get to uh, number two in 2016 to get Carson Wentz. They had the number eight overall pick that year, so the Browns swapped back to eight, got a third and a fourth that year, and then a first and a second the year after that. That's a more realistic scenario, and they also actually gave up a fourth. The Eagles got a 2017 fourth, so that's a more realistic scenario. I wouldn't do it if I was the Jets in that situation because I think that's kind of teams have learned uh, that what the Redskins did was absurd. Yeah, I mean a lot of what the Redskins have done of late is pretty absurd. I mean the football team, but I do think that. Oh gosh, yes. Then it it was the the R words back then, so we could say the R words then. I don't know if that's true. All right, um, moving on to Bryce E. Carpenter, Amari Rogers. Hey guys, love the content. Keep it up. What's the deal with Rogers? Haven't heard too much of him this offseason, and he even played well in the Senior Bowl. Could he be a steal in the draft? Which teams do you think should look to draft him, and where do you see him going? Maybe late day two, early day three. I just talked to Amari. You take it. I I really like Amari Rogers. I recently dropped a tweet talking about like my favorite slot types in this class, and I really do think that. I would feel confident, despite him not having the same maybe tools or freaky athleticism as some of these other guys, I'd feel confident taking Amari Rodgers ahead of even Darden and Tutu Atwell. Like, I, I'm thinking about it because of how smart this guy is. And also, going back and looking how well he did after the catch, he ranked, I think, number two in the country in yards after the catch per reception when controlling for average depth. Like, he was not like a guy that consistently got thrown, you know, screens and stuff like that and benefited from it. I do think that force miss tackle ability is underrated yak ability is underrated and can't stretch the vertical he said he could run in the four fours coach's son i think amari rogers is is your new man crush i, I think like so you will you, be hearing more about amari <laughs> rogers because of the interview with austin gotta love we'll that's, say, that's austin's predictable he's got a type okay so guys who talk well everyone talks about elijah moore the old miss guy who's like consistently good at a lot of things but isn't like a freak like rondale or tony i think He's a poor man's Elijah Moore in this class. Like, I think he does a lot of things consistently well that um, I value it. Maybe day two, day three guy, but I do think he's a slot type that will play well early. And I think if you're looking for a slot guy to come in and play early at a high level, I think Amari Rodgers is your guy. Jumping off of Amari Rodgers, I know we could probably spend the entire podcast on it, but... (laughs) How did Austin turn out normal? I'm still asking that question. I think normal is pretty subjective. Uh, with the reemergence, yeah, you, you haven't seen Austin on a Saturday. <laughs> with the reemergence of Aaron Rodgers as an MVP quarterback and seeming like he wants to play for several more years, would it be wise for the Packers to explore trade options for Jordan Love? With the amount of quarterback needy teams, I feel like they could get a decent return on investment for them to go all in with Rodgers, the Rodgers winning window. If so, what kind of value do you think they could get for Love and who might be the best trade partners? I, as much as I was not on board with the pick initially, this is no sunk cost fallacy here. You're selling at his absolute low. You got a guy who, after one year, was your third round, or was your third string quarterback. You're going to, you're just not going to get a good return for that guy. Like this is, you're not going to get the most you could get is like a Deshaun Kaiser 
what the what the Packers get from Sean Kaiser, which was Demarius Randall. Most of you get is like a guy who is kind of worn out as welcome somewhere else, like another starter. You're not going to get a nice pick back from Jordan Love right what now. What do you think you would get? Second even, rounder? No, you would not. Not even a second rounder. I don't think you get a second rounder. Wow. Love right now. He would... Because the rookie year does matter so much. And if you come in your rookie year and you can't even be the backup, you can't even beat out Tim Boyle in the Green Bay Packers room, you're just not going to get a lot of fans. And there's a reason why I fell to the back of the first round in the first place. When, again, the desperation that we're talking about, everyone wants a quarterback and 24 teams passing on whatever, where did he go? Um, yeah, I, I, I think you've, this is a little different than this. This always the plan was to, inv- to invest in him in development. You've made that investment. This is not a sunk cost fallacy, which I do love to talk about. Someone noted that in the comments. I do love to talk about sunk cost fallacy. I have an accounting degree. I have to justify the fact that I spent all that money. But <laughs> no, because this is a, this is a sell low situation. That investment you think can grow, and then next year, say he's the number two quarterback, plays a spot start, looks great. That's a first round pick then that you're getting back in return. So I would not go all in because I don't think your return right now is going to be enough to justify it. Didn't the Packers also trade up to go get? They Jordan did, Love? but we don't have to talk about that part. They gave up a third rounder okay. to do so, which I'm still pretty chapped about. I mean, spending a first and a third, and you can't even get a second round pick in return for that guy. That's definitely selling low. I definitely think you hold on to him at that point. That's hope, fair. not hope for, but maybe if you are looking to trade him, bank on him playing in some games down the stretch where you're blowing some teams out or something like that. That's, that's what, what I'm saying. If you, if, because at the quarterback position, the guy was drafted in the first round, and is that quote unquote has the tools. All he needs to show is a glimpse, and then someone cakes their pants for him. But he hasn't—he has not only shown a glimpse; he's shown about as bad as you can do as a rookie, which is not even be the backup. I think we need. So I've been wanting to say this for a while, and I'm going to go ahead and say it now. We need to get the Mike Breen bang on retainer for Quinn to play anytime you say cake my cake pants. pants. Something I, I need. Some, I need the bang involved, and I think that's a perfect addition. But we'll consider that, Quinn. We'll consider that. Axel Green on February 5th. My Denver Broncos threw assets at wide receiver last year. If the Broncos decide to continue to torture its fans with a bad quarterback, how bad of an idea would it be to go Farley round one and Campbell in round two? We have Mahomes and Herbert to deal with for a quarter of every season. Would a Tampa Bay approach work out for them? Before we start, I recently talked to Patrick Sertan. That interview will play on a future episode. And I talked about for a while him and Tyson Campbell, the two five-star corners playing outside corner for American Heritage mm-hmm. for two years. They went undefeated two seasons in a row and won state championships. And he said they literally couldn't throw on us. There were games where they wouldn't even throw at us and just run the football. It's absurd. Like that, that combo in high school is just bonkers to me. I'm going to use bonkers again. But back to his Barcelona. question, what's your, what's your opinion of them going defense round one and two? I love it. This was... Would the Tampa Bay Bucks approach work for them? I think it would work for fucking anybody in the NFL. It's a great approach. When you secondary, you need it's again a weak link proposition. You need three good corners. If you have like one good corner can help out elsewhere. You can you know scheme coverages to a degree to help out your other guys. But when you have no holes that are easy to attack, like we talked about with the Trevor Lawrence thing, you attack your favorable matchups when you see things like man coverage. When your most favorable matchup is, you think, is Alan Lazard against your third cornerback in Sean Murphy Bunting. And Sean Murphy Bunting picks off that route. That's a huge, that's a play that if you don't have Sean Murphy Bunting there, if you didn't invest that second round pick, that's a game-changing play that is not made otherwise because that's basically how the gist of how pass defense and coverage works. So I love the strategy. Uh, the guys that I think would fit Vic Fangio's scheme I didn't love Ojemudier last year. I thought that was a tad bit of a reach. I think if you go someone like Asante Samuel, Greg Newsom, both can play in that scheme. 
day one have that those are probably the top two zone corners in the draft after Caleb Farley, I'd say. And so obviously Vic Fangio, known for his uh, split field safety zone schemes. I love that fit. So there you go. Can we talk more about the the Northwestern cornerback, Greg Newsom? I really like Newsom a lot. He's, he's got, got length. He's got speed. I like his Maybe the direction. best. I don't think he has speed. Really? That's the one thing I worry about. I think he's maybe a 4-5 guy. But he has probably the best hips. The swivel the class. is legit. Yeah. I mean, there's some all 22 of Greg Newsom that we haven't shared on the timeline. That is honestly really, really impressive. Yeah. Like how he's able to kind of stick with guys I thought was awesome. And he's got the length. I think Indianapolis is, it, is licking their chops to go get Greg Newsom. Yeah, they're, they're, they're the length kings, which sounds like a... Isn't that a site you subscribe website, to? Yeah. <laughs> length kings. Oh, man. I was watching Superbad with my mom recently. She's never seen it. You know, that op- the cold open is is Jonah Hill's character saying, we got to subscribe to the Vagitastic Voyage. And my mom's like, what is this? I'm like, oh, fuck. With perfect that. 10. <laughs> yeah, perfect 10. Oh, that could be a bowling website. All right, Pac-12 Packers fan. I, I think this guy's a Packers fan. Look at Looking at the PFF draft board, where does first, second, and third round graded talent end? If you were the Packers GM and utilizing your board, who would you draft in the first four rounds? Thank you. So you always hear so-and-so team has 16 first round grades, but that's because they, t- they don't have guys on their board altogether that don't fit their scheme, don't fit their whatever, personality thresholds, injury thresholds. So we're a little bit different in terms of everyone fits our personality threshold and scheme, th- mm, personality threshold, I shouldn't say, scheme thresholds, that sort of thing. So I would put it at about... 28th on our board, Jalen Phillips is the last guy I'd call first round grade. 61st on our board, Ronnie Perkins is the last guy I'd call second round grade, even though Ronnie Perkins is about to move up. 100 on our board, Amon Ra is the last guy I'd call third round grade. There you go. There you have it. And who should they take in rounds? Oh, okay, one, four, one, one through, through four. four. I actually, this one, this got me horny doing this exercise because I was Easy, like, easy. Uh, that's, this is what date I- was last this night. Is, this date was, was last night. This was what I do as a kid. This is how I got into this was just making this- who are they going to get first? Who are they going to get second? Rashad Bateman and Rondell Moore. First round pick. That's who I'm getting. Immediate impact wide receiver. Immediately a guy who can get off press coverage. Immediately a guy who Dude, can Dude, Rondell Moore to Green Bay at 29. I'd be doing freaking backflips if I were yeah. you. It would be my A.J. Dillon reaction last year where I like felt like I had been stabbed. <laughs> the opposite of that. Cake pants. No, second round, Walker Little. Ooh. If he's on the board there, you pull that trigger. He's moving up boards too. Mel Kiper yeah, Jr. Mel just dropped him first. at 31 to the Chiefs. Yeah. And he was your guy. He's my guy. Um, but if he's on the board in the second, that's, that one's the easy money. Benjamin St. Juiced in the third. Long, different type of cornerback than Jay Alexander. But they're moving to the Fangio scheme. They're moving to off zone where a guy like that, I think, can succeed, even though he's, he's can hold up in man coverage as well. And then the fourth, Justin Hilliard, my boy at linebacker. Not going to go super high because of his injury red flags. But, man, he's talented. He's NFL ready because he's already 24 years old. So. Yeah, someone was actually sending me DMs on Instagram about Justin Hilliard and valued him as like a top two, top three linebacker. And I think from purely a tools and traits perspective, this guy is a freak. Awesome. I mean, former five-star. You see the explosiveness. And, and honestly, from a tape played. perspective this past season, this, that was top. That was first-round linebacker tape. Absolutely. But it was 200 snaps is the problem. Yeah, and it's only been 200 snaps for the past three. Like, he has not played a lot of football, exactly. and he's old. I think there's reasons for him to fall down boards for that, uh, like, other than his tape. Yeah. But his tape is definitely, you know, up there. He was the only one that showed up against Alabama yeah. for them. No Tommy Togiai, though. Oh, yeah. Great storyline from that game. Future friend of the pod. All right, uh, 
Joko Jiba. <laughs> if you're the Chargers draft drafting at 13 and 45, taking cornerback and offensive tackle, which has better overall value? Derisaw slash Slater in the first and a Debo, a Debo and Aaron Robinson in the second, or a Farley Sertan, Sertan, sorry, Sertan Horn situation in the first, or and Cosme Little in the second. Maybe not these specific, but just the positions for your thoughts. I think I like offensive tackle first in that Same. scenario. The certainty you can't you can't get another project offensive lineman and throw Justin Herbert to the wolves sort of thing. You, you need a guy who you're going to feel real good about coming in and starting and playing well. That's Darius Slater. So I like offensive tackle in that scenario. And then like I said there's a number of toolsy corners, not Paulson Adebo, but we've talked about Greg Newsom, Aaron Robinson, Tyson Campbell, guys in that mix who would be good fits for the Chargers. So I, I definitely think the they're going to get a better haul going off to tackle, whether it's Darisaw or Slater at 13 and then attacking cornerback in yeah. round two. I think you're right there. Or honestly, uh, so yeah, I'm not sure cornerback's necessarily the biggest. Like they could go other positions too. True. True. All right. Let's move off of that. Like this, the next one's Oleaf 18. Love this pod. Oh, no, this is Giants one, sorry. I use your points all the time. You guys are my number one resource for draft season. Assuming they're available, should the Giants go Slater, Farley, or Waddle? Thanks, guys. Keep it up. Like Waddle. You're not going to get his skill set elsewhere. I, I know there's a lot of that types in the class, but man, he's, just not, he's different. It's different level of certainty there. So I go Waddle. I also, we even mentioned like corner, on the... Even though low-key cornerback could be the move there for them at 11 if the three wideouts, the top three are off the board. If corners get by the Broncos and Cowboys at 9 and 10 and you can get your hands yeah, on a Farley, go get their QB. There's also a lot of mixed opinions on this cornerback class. Have you seen some of that? I think I've seen, you know, Eric Crocker, who's really good, you know, like Jason Horn. Yeah, yeah. He has I Jason Horn. Jason I've Horn. seen Jason Horn and Sertan over Farley in some guys' boards. People yeah. really like... Um, uh, and Kelvin Joseph, the the Kentucky guy, who is another guy that people like as a CB1, CB2 in some spots. But Jalen Waddle, Fuck, that's wild. It, it goes back to what we kind of said on the Wednesday episode when we're doing the NFC team previews, is that I really do think they need to do all that they can to find out what they have in Daniel Jones and yeah. follow the Brandon Bean model and giving him every single resource he needs to see if he pans out. And it's kind of like what the Denver Broncos did with Drew Locke this past year by bringing in Judy, KJ Hamler, Albert Okui-Bunam, like trying to really build up around him to see if he could have it, see if he could do it. Yeah. And that obviously didn't pan out, but you just need to see it. And you need to do everything you can to put him in a situation to succeed so that way you could properly evaluate him. All right, because you don't want to be, because the other part of that is you don't want to be in the Jets situation. Like, they don't really know if Sam Darnold has yeah. it. And there are still people like Mel Kuyper Jr. who thinks he could turn it around without Adam Gase and stuff like that, yeah. which maybe is true. You know, like, there's a range of outcomes where Sam Darnold improves significantly. Absolutely. But you can't – you want to avoid that situation. You want to avoid that uncertainty by making sure you build around him and put him in a situation to succeed where you can properly come out of a season and say, hey, it didn't work. We gave him Jalen Waddell, Andrew Thomas. We added an interior offensive line in day two. Like, all that stuff needs to matter. All right. This is from General Higgins. This is definitely my go-to podcast nowadays. Austin keeps growing on me with his hilarious stories. I'll take it. And Mike's a chill dude with a weird accent. Fair. Not enough people bring that up. Your accent's weird, man. Wisconsin accents are... Suck. Yeah, they're actually not great. I definitely think my MO, though, is... not grow, attractive. I, I, my MO is definitely that I grow on you. You know, I'm not someone that comes out of the bat and you're like, I love that guy. You're like, oh, what the hell is going on? Oh, wait, it's kind of interesting. That's kind of the, the re reviews I mostly So, get. like, on Tinder, you got to be, like, weeks in before you get yeah, that yeah, date. exactly. That's so I don't thrive at clubs, you know? Like, clubs, you, like, immediately got to dance with that guy. It's like, no, you don't. You don't mm. want to get near that guy. Anyway, as a Giants <laughs> fan... <laughs> 
I've been seeing a plethora of draft picks mock for them at 11, from wide receiver to corner to edge defender. In your opinion, what player would be the best choice for them at 11? We just kind of answered this, but especially oh, weighting does. positional value, what player do you think will end up? Getting? Yeah, I meant to put those Giants questions together. All good. My bad. All good. But yeah, um, wide receiver. Yeah. You need the one. You need you need the guy. Is why I keep saying it with the Giants. You need the, the go-to guy to pair with Daniel Jones. And again, the properly evaluating thing is big because his statistically, he sucked. Like his grading is better than his statistics, but his grading is still not great either. Yeah. So you need if admittedly terrible situation with that offensive line and a middling group of wide receivers. But again, fix that. And if then the other things don't get fixed, well then shit, then you know. So uh <laughs> And then what do you think they'll end up taking? I honestly think it will be Devontae Smith. I do think the wide receivers will drop a bit. I think you see quarterbacks go hot, and then teams maybe who would have been in the wide receiver mix, Eagles being one, like, go quarterback in this draft. So I think one of the – like, I think Jamar Chase is the only wide receiver who ends up in the top 10 all said and done. Wow. That's that's quite the take. Because I also think – yeah, Panay Sewell, Jamar Chase, I think the corners could go higher than people think, like a Farley, like a Sertan. And yeah. at that point, you could see some of these receivers, whether it's Smith or Waddle, dip out of the top 10. Um, let's see now. Hey, Andy, 23. This is on, I think, in February 9th or something. First, how do you see Jaden Daniels shaping up as a future quarterback prospect? We already so, talked about yeah. that one. Hopefully you listened to that episode last mailbag. Yeah, Jaden Daniels. Show. I still want to hear a little bit more about the guy. If, if they didn't listen to that last episode, don't just ruin it for people. The guy listens to that last episode. He's a loyal listener. I'll trust him. Okay, cool. This is a tool. Is he super skinny though? That guy's like one thin, five, very thin. The rail should uh, and for the Arizona Cardinals, should they focus on wide receiver or cornerback in the first round? We got talked about this with the free agent that they could make a play at corner, and I'd like to see that. The problem is, it's the one's going to depend on the board because I think the big three that we keep talking about that tier that tier one of the wide receiver position is going to be gone. And after that, there's a lot of guys in kind of a mix that 16 overall is not going to give you your value over where you're going to get in the middle of the second round. So I'd probably wait to the middle of the second round to address wide receiver at that point and then hope someone like J.C. Horn, Patrick Sertan is there. Then that's where I'd go. And if none of them are, well, shit, you have other positions you could draft. It's, you don't have to pigeonhole yourself into those two. So if all, all six of those guys are off the board, the big three corners, the big three wide receivers, Sneaky in the edge market. That's where I'd, that's where I'd be looking. Past Especially right. getting ahead of the Raiders, who I think will be taking an edge yeah. at 17. All right, um, NRS 922. My question, as a diehard Bears fan, I was wondering at pick 20 or at the back end of the top 10 with a trade, which quarterback do you think they should target with Nagy's offense in mind? The dream is Justin Fields falling and being able to go up and get him. That's your dream. He'd be the best fit for that offense. Sadly, I don't think it's the case. If anyone falls, I think it'd be Trey Lance. And like, yeah, it'd still be fine going up and making that play, but I don't think it's a great fit for Nagy's offense. Um, Mac Jones is not a, is not a bad fit for Nagy's offense, but man, any quarterback expecting them to come in year one with kind of the collection of talent they will have, which is to say it's not a great collection of talent offensively at this point. If Allen Robinson walks, I don't, I don't think it's going to be a huge year-on-year leap to where – yeah, I just don't think Mac Jones. I wouldn't take Mac Jones. That's Man. all I'm saying. I mean, and you've talked about it again on the NFC preview. You're saying Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston to Chicago. Not Mac Jones. Not Justin Fields. Not Trey Lance. Go get yourself Jameis Winston. And you bottom out that you fucking like that next year. There's always there's always next year. Take the chance though. <laughs> all right. But they but they also have really not added draft talent. 
because of the their you know the Khalil Mack trade. They've just not added a lot of young blue chip talent. They're relying on old guys. So like yeah, you can get a quarterback young and cheap and like keep kicking that can in terms of trying to sign free agents. But at some point you need to refuel the coffers with young talent. Yep. All right. This is from gun at Houston. My question, do y'all think other teams will follow the Sean Payton lead and have a backup quarterback who plays the gadget quarterback position like Taysom Hill as quarterbacks get older? Wouldn't it make sense for teams to have those players for load management? It's an interesting question. If y'all do think it's a good idea, what, how about the bucks taking Sam Ellinger of Texas? on the third day to, to lessen the low for Tom if such when his age finally catches up with him. All right. I have to admit, and I, I'm not trying to be mean here, but when I saw this question, I audibly laughed out loud. I was it's funny. Sam Ellinger, it's funny. like just the suggestion of what do you think of, you know, taking Brady off the field to play Sam Ellinger a little bit. Just like, <laughs> just to lessen this the really like it got me, but my theory on this and it's maybe it's Steve's theory that I don't really love the way Steve phrases it. But my Steve calls it the JT Barrett theory, where a guy who's not actually a good passer but is mobile and will protect the football can still give you a good offense. Mine is more your backup quarterback. If you backup quarterbacks suck wholesale to begin with, if you want to try your your best opportunity to win games with a backup quarterback is to have them be a Jalen Hurts, a guy in that mold who is a mobile quarterback to then you come in and you immediately just you have like a a dozen or so option runs that that's what you're going to base the offense out of that play action a few passing concepts a very simplistic offense but guys who have that mobility can still lead you a higher floor offense than a shitty backup quarterback would so I think that's an untapped resource is the Jalen Hurts of the draft I'm trying to think who would Jamie Newman in this year's class as your backup to basically come in and just start glorified wildcat at that point when your backup quarterback comes in instead of trying to have, you know, Chad Henney come in and win you a game and throw. And shit, Chad Henney won that game because of his legs. You know, he scrambled for that third down to get it to fourth inches. I got one That's for you. That's what I would do. Tim Tebow just retired from baseball. He's if coming you're back. use a gadget quarterback, he's available. I like it. I honestly Tim Tebow really, really 30 like 30-whatever he is. Next up on first take. We haven't um, talked about this enough because we're talking about Taysom Hill a little bit, but like Taysom Hill could be the Saints starter quarterback for 16 games next year. Yeah. Like they, he's not a gadget guy. So come on. He's a, like, no, I honestly think but, that given, you know, all the praise that Sean Payton has thrown at him, it's like, are you going to, are you going to call that bluff? Like you bet, you're paying him all this money. It really was him just throwing his like dick on the table this year, starting Taysom Hill. I think that, I think he honestly knew that Jameis Winston is a better quarterback. So everyone says that. I, d- I disagree. I don't think he's playing games like that. He paid him for a reason. Have you seen his Twitter account? He would. He does he's play the games. ultimate. I think Taysom Hill is the starter week one. I love. I think if they don't get Mac Jones at 28, which is obviously a pipe dream now that Mel Kuyper's mocking him as high as eight to the Panthers, like I think they're starting Taysom Hill at, at, at week one, and it's going to run with starter. Uh, all right, last <laughs> point on this. I, I don't think that taking your load management thing – I don't love that as a strategy, I'll say, for Asian quarterbacks. I don't think it's that necessary. Open music, yo. Great draft insight. Might bring back the long locks from the Bachelorette days. A lot of talk about the tackle talent in this draft. But what about Brady Christensen of BYU? First team All-American in 2020, three years of starting at BYU and had the second highest PFF grade on offense ever. What limits him to a third-round sort of prospect? Love the pod, thanks. Stiff is, I think, the biggest thing you watch him and just like, 
very upright and struggles to sink. And then like when he went against Peyton Turner, Houston Edge kind of got exposed and that only went against him a few snaps, but I think lost on a number of them. And it's limited agility. And so I think guard is where he probably ends up. And so immediately if you're going, he's not a tackle, value's going down. He's a guard, a little stiff guard. That's kind of a day three guy. He's working with Duke Manyweather right now. I was talking to Creed Humphrey and Jackson Carmen last night, and they were saying he's working out there with them. Jackson Carmen, by the way, he's he's a, he's an interesting personality. That that uh, interview will play on a future podcast. But he said he's talked to a ton of NFL teams. Not a single one sees him at guard. Every single one sees him at left tackle. He can move. Yeah, like he's he, a big ass dude, but that guy can move. He kind of had a humble brag. He's like, not a single one said I'm at guard, and a lot of them see me as the top one of the top offensive tackles in this class. Dude, dude has some poise to the to his to his game, which I liked. Did you move up your board? I brought up the story too about you he grading him in high of, school. Oh yeah, he just, does have a notebook, and he does have a notebook. Fuck you, he does have a notebook <laughs> where he charts pass rushers. He's sending me it via fax, so eat shit. Uh, Julie Dees. This is from Julie Dees. Wait, what did he say about high school? I didn't. Remember you? Yeah, no, what he say about He said, yeah, it was just a monster. I just destroyed people. He didn't even try. Like, yeah, he was not He trying. did try, but he didn't have to try. He also is very self-aware. He, yeah. you know, he brings up that, like, I know I have all this potential. I know I'm one of the better athletes in this class. I got to live up to it. You know, I think that self-awareness, underrated, dude. I'm telling you, self-awareness is very underrated. Is uh, a notebook a good thing? Shouldn't the it be digital? Is a great thing. That movie. The notebooks. Oh, the notebooks. Movie. Yeah, but I'm just saying, if you have a notebook, like what? Do you not embrace technology? Uh, he might not weirdo? embrace technology. No, you're right. Do you I not? I should have followed up with that. You should have pressed him. Killing trees. Is it a composition? Not notebook? good. Falling down my board. <laughs> yep. You stuck in the '90s, Jackson? I should have said that next time. Uh, being that Quinn Miners' 2019 film is not that dominant for D3 competition, is he over overhyped? by the fun workout videos and the senior bowl or do you believe he's a truly different player than he was in 2019 i think your most recent tape is always the tape you'd like to go out like yeah. unless you have a legitimate you know injury something else reason for why you played poorly if your best football was your last year that's kind of what you base your evaluation of a prospect on so his latest tape that we saw was pretty dang good like at the senior bowl that was standout for sure, performance. Now, it wasn't great. To me, I still like Ben Barch better as prospect last year. I thought he went to the senior bowl and played better, and he didn't have his belly hanging out, didn't have the flow, wasn't quite at the same. Or did he have the flow? I can't remember. I didn't know. have the same sort of hoopla going on around him. Didn't have the same pancakes, but I thought he was, what he looked like there was just better projectable to the NFL. So I think maybe the hype was, like, he's still in the one th- the 20s on our draft board. He's We're not considering him you know, like Ali Marpet was after that senior bowl win in the top of the second round. I think he's a nice a nice option, but late day two, early day three is where I'd probably and see And that's him exactly still where Ben Barch ended up. You know, yeah, Ben Barch is what, fourth, fourth round pick? I think that's where yeah. Quinn Miners ultimately ends up as well. Yeah, sorry, Owen. All right, this is from Aguar2468. This is a little bit long-winded intro, but I think it's kind of funny, so I'll read it. Review. If you like the NFL but don't want to listen to Stephen A. Smith called Dwayne Haskins more of a runner, this is the podcast for you. Austin will tell you every episode with amazement that a prospect was a three-sport athlete in high school. That's incredible. Mike is a great dude despite at first, and this is true, giving off a guy who calls his family lawyer because you spilled a drink on his Sperry's vibes. Isn't someone in your family a lawyer? My mom. I'd call my, I would definitely call my mom if someone spilled a drink on my Sperry's, so yeah. Do you have Sperry's? Yeah, I have Sperry's. <laughs> <laughs> it's not I, that obvious. You know I look like I have Sperry's. Come on. <laughs> you're like, yeah, I have Sperry's. I think you're the only one that doesn't have Sperry's, Austin. Yeah, dude, well, fuck Sperry's. Me. I'll get some yeah. Sperry's. It's got, Sperry's the East Coast thing, though. Okay. I, think, I don't think it's a West Coast. I could be a Beast Coast. It's like Vans is the West Coast Sperry. Oh, wow. It's a take. 
I like that take. All right, let's get to his question. Following up, oh, he had the to hear Whitehead at every at each position question. Yeah. That one was awesome. Great. Um, he's following that one up with another banger here. I've always had a hunch that all the money and effort teams put into the scouting is a waste. There was a 538 article a while ago that detailed how there's pretty much no, no correlation between how well GMs draft from year to year, how well GMs draft from year to year. And thus, no such thing as a good drafter slash scout. I believe if you gave the average two-for-one listener control of a team's draft and they picked players according to a consensus draft board, they'd have much more success. Thoughts? I, I, you you go you run with this. One, I'm so all for it. I think this is a very very good idea. And here's what you do: you bring in the consensus board, which is obviously loaded with a lot of groupthink bias. You're going to yeah, see like Mel Kiper, like big influencers will influence other like Kiper, Jeremiah, McShay. I put you in the conversation. I love you. You're going to influence. You're going to my own conversation above that. Actually, yeah. <laughs> you're going to influence the layman's board. You know, to so a point where like this thing's kind of got some consensus or groupthink bias, regardless. Yeah. But just working off the consensus board. I think, and then funneling the money you pay the scouts and the evaluators into development, development personnel, guys that can turn a 20-year-old, you know, that guy that has made a lot of bad decisions into a good professional football player. That is where there isn't enough money spent. Take all the salaries you pay the scouts and pay them to people that can develop and mature talent. Give each of your first-round picks two personal assistants to guide them through the process, help them financially, help them make decisions off good decisions off the field, marriage counseling, whatever it has to be. Like Develop these guys, because that's how players bust, in my opinion. It's not hard to identify athletes with all the data and information and tape made available on these guys. It's not hard to identify the best rare athletes in each class. The problem is, the difficulty is developing those guys and make sure they stay on the train tracks to actually reach that potential. I mean, you see it a thousand times. Isaiah Wilson drafted in the first round because he's an absolute behemoth and has rare traits, but just veered off the tracks like right out of the gate. Like you needed to literally handhold that guy. And if you took the salaries you pay scouts and pay them into guys who could develop that talent, specifically the top 50, top 100 players you bring in, I think you'd have some good success. Would you be the best drafting team in the NFL? No, but I think it'd be enough to like really put you over the hunch. Yeah, I would. I would get psychiatrists on staff to actually yes. psychoanalyze guys and be like, "This is his sort of trajectory as a human being." Would be a better way than saying, "I like the cut of his jib." Some scout saying that. I think, in my opinion, but I also think the whole, "Oh, these guys on the outside, whatever." They wouldn't know how to draft just going off the pure consensus board. The draft history of some teams are just awful. We talked about you know how the Eagles, Seahawks, uh, who was the other one in recent years? Patriots haven't even Raiders been Raiders have, have like, done a lot of overdrafting. There's been some just ugly, ugly drafts to where it's not – this isn't rocket science. As much as I'd like it to be rocket science, I because that would probably help me out in my career and I'd probably be – more capable at it it's not a super difficult thing to identify who's good at football and who's not you all get the same tape if you go back and look at the biggest reaches on the consensus board it was jordan brooks isaiah wilson and damon arnett in the first round those are the biggest reaches and i think you could argue like going back like isaiah wilson was obviously a bad pick damon arnett still has a lot to prove and so does jordan brooks but like i really do think that using the consensus board you're not going to find yourself making a ton of terrible decisions like you're not it's I've kept uh, my biggest thing about I don't want to say what I've learned, but in terms of your biggest way to get that edge in the draft is to eliminate outlier guys. Yes. Eliminate those guys that you know you shouldn't be drafting at that point in time. And that would be your Isaiah Wilson's or Damon. That would be, you know, 
the guys who are, you know, whether, whether it's didn't produce at all in college. And even if you're not using athletes, the consensus board kind of completely, like outliers. leveraging it in some ways to say like, hey, we like Damon Arnett here, but he's like 30 spots higher than where people see him on the consensus. Let's try and trade back. And, yeah. and if we don't end up there, we draft the next best guy. Like we'll find a way to make it happen. You don't have to lock into your guy and make sure you get your guy. Like you're, mm-hmm. there's a lot of talented players in every single draft. I think the other thing I'll say is it kind of double down, double downing on the take I dropped a couple of weeks ago or months ago is that draft evaluation is 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 gotten to a point where it's overrated, where like it's just way too overvalued and that like you have to have rankings for your receivers. This guy's better than this guy. CeeDee Lamb is better than Jerry Judy. Mm. I freaking believe it. It's like, that's too far. You don't need to think about like that. Think about draft evaluation like that. A lot of players can be good in certain situations and all that type of stuff. So mm. I definitely think the consensus board idea, I love it. All right, next question. This guy's username is Life of the Search Party, which I love. Do the Cowboys have any chance of signing Leonard Williams or even a Shelby Harris in free agency? I think they should use their two first-round picks. Their first two picks, sorry. Their first two picks on cornerback and offensive tackle, respectively, and the prospects for a defensive tackle in the third and third round are not smarter material. Starter. Starter material, sorry. I would also cut Tristan Hill and not re-sign Crawford. What should they do to fix the defensive line to pair with Gallimore? You had a time with that one. That was fucking great. I will say... If they have any hopes of keeping Dak Prescott, they will not be able to re-sign Leonard Williams or Shelby Harris. They could, you know, you can move money around to get any kind of the market they'll be in at defensive tackle. It's not a terrible market to be in. Kwan Shore, Derek Wolf, Jonathan Hankins, Mike Pinnell. It's not great, but it's it's better than Don Tari Poe, who had retired the year prior but decided to take another paycheck sort of thing. So, yeah. There you go. All right, we're gonna we gotta keep moving here. We gotta keep getting through these questions. We're gonna have to do another bonus mailbag next week. It's, we, it's we, we have too much fun answering them, and then we go on for a little bit too yeah. long. I go off on a tangent, start talking about your mom. Anyway, do, do the big red mitten one there. Okay, I, big I red mitten. The other one. Lions GM Brad Holmes traded for Jared Goff initially. Trade for Jared Goff initially gave every Detroit fan an aneurysm. After further consideration, the move looks shrewd and chess-like from every Detroit fan. Well, you just. From a team-building standpoint, admittedly something Lions fans aren't used to seeing. Assuming they continue this scene by bypassing the quarterback in 2020 and electing to build around the future franchise player, essentially delaying the benefits of the rookie deal, a la KC Patrick Mahomes, which quarterbacks in 2022 and 2023 can we start looking forward to that will fit in Danny Kneecaps Campbell and Anthony Lynn scheme? What they want to do in, two, in year two, year three. All right. So, yeah. Spencer Rattler, Sam Howell. You want one of those two guys, I'll just say. Keaton Slovis, I mean, we can maybe have Trash on to pump up Keaton Slovis a little bit, but I, I don't think he holds candle to those two. I think those two are very, very talented and have kind of that like complete skill set that you want at the quarterback position. So those guys, I already kind of under the radar guys pumped up Malik Willis. And then 2023, the boy, our boy, I think our favorite draft prospect of all time. We can just say it right now, DJ Uyunglele. We on Galele in 2023 is the move. But in 2022, I definitely agree that it's it's Rattler Howell right now. I do think, though, looking at some of the data last night at you know what Keenan Slovis did in 2019, if he can have similar success in a full season, non-COVID impacted in 2021, I think you'll see him move up some boards. I've also heard Dane Brugler of The Athletic, uh, one of the, what did I call him? Elite, Elite Minds, minds in, the space. in the Space. Elite Minds in the Space. I do think he he's big on Keenan Slovis too. I think he really likes him as well. So I think that's another another guy to look out for. I know right now he's that QB3 consensus, but I think you could see him maybe move up in the future. All right, moving forward here from Bear Matt 3. 
Sewell is a no-brainer at five if he's there. But if Walker Little is at 38, do you pull the trigger? Yes. This depends on what info and videos come out between now and the draft. 38 for me is maybe a reach, but pick 69 would be nice for sure. Uh, yeah, Walker Little at 38, I'm on board for sure. He also adds, sign Trent Williams to gain some veteran presence. His knowledge would be very valuable to Sewell and Walker and provide stability while in transition into the league. Final piece is to sign Corey Lindsley. Best graded center, and Mike said center is number two of the O-line power ranking. Well, it's number three because LT and RT are equal. Yeah, yeah. So it's that tie and then tie at one and then a number three. Sadly... Cincinnati is not yet a destination for free agents. I, I find it hard to believe. I don't think Trent Williams goes to Cincinnati. Yeah, I just find it hard to believe guys towards the end of their careers would want to come to Cincinnati. Sorry, Quinn. Sorry. As good as Skyline Chili is, I don't think Trent Williams wants That's, to spend some of his final years in Cincinnati. I was going to say, that'll shorten your career there. But And then center, like Trey Hopkins, probably their second-best offensive lineman right now. So I, I, don't, I don't think they're going to be addressing center. He's hurt, love though. There. He blew out his knee, so he might not be around Did he? for it. Yeah. Oh, so I, so I think center sneaky is a low-key need. Dude, Unless you want to roll Billy Quinn Price Quinn just making there. up freaking random accounts to just ask questions on the pot. You could just ask us, Quinn. You could just ask us. What well, already did? I don't know. I, I didn't see that news. Oh, we tore his ACL. Yeah, it was uh, last game of the year. Yeah. Oh, that's oh, brutal. Yeah. When that's you're that so bad and you're that far out of it, it's tough to make headlines. Yeah. Fair enough. Center getting tear his ACL is not, yeah. This is from Uppery. I expected the content to be good. I did not expect the personalities and banter to be good. Best and most entertain- entertaining draft <laughs> podcast. Shots down. fired. What do we look like? Yeah. You're sucky you didn't expect scrubs. us to be good? <laughs> I guess I have grown on people. Anyway. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, <laughs> you kind of just said you don't expect to be good. <laughs> By all accounts, it appears that the Jaguars are switching to a 3-4 defense this year. How do you think their existing personnel fits that, specifically Devon Hamilton at nose tackle? What defensive line draft prospects should they target? I think it's a really good fit. And not just Devon Hamilton, nose tackle on a 3-4 you, it's not pure. No one runs pure zero text anymore. That's not a thing. Yeah, you're. It's very. That's the most similar role between three four and four three nowadays. It's the stand up versus on ball. The edge guys that are different. And Kalen Jason played outside linebacker in college at LSU. Off standing up. Josh Allen played standing up at Kentucky. So I think it fits them better. Those two guys at least. And what they would need is that got the nose. Two edge, kind of need that five tech. You need the guy with length who can take on tackles. They don't really have that. Now, they could address that in free agency. I don't think that'd be a bad shout. I think Henry Anderson might get cut, might be available, would be a guy I'd look at there. Also, if you're going to address in the draft, there's not a lot in this class, Peyton Turner. sadly. Peyton Turner's one, Rashad Weaver's one, Osa Digizu is one as well. Osa Digizu would probably be the guy I'd go with because run defense on the interior, he's got that. And that's, you got your edge guys as your pass rushers. If you're going to have a pure, that five tech's not really a pass rushing position. Go for the guy who can really stuff the run. This is from the person that sent this. Is Panay Sewell draft value falling because he opted out of the 2020 season? No. We can just uh, move it's, on. Yeah. Sorry. He's not, he's not, I, mean, I don't know why I said but like sorry. Why, I'm not sorry. Do you, th- do you think there are players though that opted out of 2020? Where that are seeing their stock fall outside of Jamie Newman. I think that's the most yeah. obvious one. Are there any other guys that, like, man, if he played? Like Greg Rousseau, he's not that edge one conversation, could have been edge one quite easily. He comes back and looks. It was never going to look like Chase Young. He's not Chase Young as an athlete. But if he comes back and looks more dominant than Jalen Phillips, if he's playing better than Jalen Phillips, he would have been edge one, you know? Yeah, So fair enough. All right, this is the last one of the podcast, and it's from our boy Drill Clinton who is a big fan. He's a big fan. He's got three questions in this one. Best draft podcast ever. Love the stories. 
mazed every single time. Need the first date and the mom I wanted, something like that. Um, three that questions. Not what it said. <laughs> Am Let's I just crazy? Read what it said. It says, so far is either lush first date story or mom most wanted. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Well, my mom did her time. People keep saying it's criminating. She did her time. Apparently, she went to jail three times. I thought it was just once. No, she's never been caught. She's never been caught, though. It was like that part in The Office. I was like, I never got caught, neither. I don't know if you guys watch The Office. I'm kind of a sad for that. But am I crazy to think Deshaun Watson trade is a good thing? I would send him to Miami for thir- three first-rounders, a second, Tua, and Xavier Howard, trade three back, accumulate more picks in three to five years, and have a team full of talent. Plus, whatever you get for J.J. Watt, you could build a team similar to the football team, especially if you draft well. So he you did got nothing for JJ. Watt. This was before, obviously JJ Watt was released. They didn't get anything for JJ Watt, but I, I'm kind of with this guy about like, dude, go get three first rounders, a second rounder, Xavier Howard, Tua. Go get the most you can get. They're not get- throwing in Xavier Howard. They might throw in Tua in a deal like that. They're not going to throw in. They want to win. Like if you're targeting for Deshaun Watson, you want to win now. True. You're not going to give up a piece that could help you win now. So they're not going to get Xavier. 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 Who's the Zayvon? Zayvon Collins. Okay. I'm losing it. But I don't. I still don't think that's great from the Texans' perspective. I think the only thing right now that, as a Texans fan, I can get excited about is Jeff Bezos is looking to buy a team. That's the only thing I can get excited about as a Texans fan right now. Isn't it Bezos? I don't really care. <laughs> Either way, I, I do think that um, trying to get the highest bidder makes sense, but ESPN just reported this, that they were like not even picking up the phone. Houston is not even for Jeff inter- Bezos. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. For Deshaun Watson, yeah. they're not even picking up the phone. They do not want to trade Deshaun Watson, which honestly, I've, as you said before, is probably the best move. All right, second question: Would you push some of these speedy slot types down with the abundance of them in the draft, like you would rather have Waddle in the first, or say Darden or Tutu and day two, day three? I just think the value is greater. Yeah, I think after Waddle, I would I can get on board with saying that. Where it's like I'm 19, I'm the football team. Do I really want to go Kadarius Tony when I can get a similar skill set in my offense, like in the second? So I, I do think that will push those guys maybe into the top of the second, maybe in the late first. Guys like Elijah Moore, Kadarius Tony, Rondo Moore, because of that. Last one from Drew Clinton. If Michael Parsons fell to the Ravens, would you feel good about him as a hybrid? I think edge? we could just stop that one there. He's not going to fall to the Ravens. Yeah, Ravens. fair enough. And then it's he has Cal another P- question. Cal Pitts as well. That one's not falling to the Ravens. Yeah. Ravens are, they're in that kind of the, the other wide receiver mark that we just said. And what was it? Kuiper had Chairs Marshall mock there? Yeah. I think that's reasonable because that's the kind of guy. We said Rashad Bateman. Obviously, the NFL might be higher on Marshall because of his physical tools. But that's the kind of guy you'd want to pair I with. I like Bateman there. You don't want the small, small slots there. You want the big slot. The big slot. All right. Um, just like we that. got through February 7th. We now are at February 8th. We have to do a bonus mailbag next week, and this time we have to tease it. We do another bonus mailbag, try and get into the 20s for February, and I think we're finally on track. Remember, if you want your your question answered in 2023, go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review, and put your question in there. We can definitely get to it. We'll get there. These will slow down eventually. The support will slow. I hope not. Actually, I hope not, but I think they will eventually. Who knows? As we get into April, though, these things are going to cook. We may have to have a mailbag week. Just mailbag every night. Mailbag for 24 hours. Just constantly mm, A moving. live mailbag extravaganza. On like a Saturday. Quinn would love that. <laughs> All I right. mean, that's that's fine. We could A uh, live call-in show would be Ooh, That would be the dream. Live call-in show. That'd be I'm hilarious. Oh. No, you're not drinking. I'm drinking. All right. Anyway, um, 
moving forward here. I'm gonna end the show. This is the end of the show. <laughs> um, what the hell was I gonna say? End of the show. Austin Gale, Mike Renner, producer Mike Quinn, two for one drafts. Joining the 2-4 Drafts podcast is former Washington cornerback, safety, defensive playmaker. Let's call him playmaker at these point. At this point, Elijah Molden, live from Irvine. I definitely am jealous of the weather you're getting there in California, Cincinnati. It's not looking so great, but it's great to have you on the podcast, man. Man, thanks for setting this up. Um, yeah, I mean, right now it's like 70 degrees out here and everywhere else is snowed over, so not complaining. Living the freaking dream, dude, and that, that that's that's awesome. How how has the off season been for you? How has the training process been for you? I know you're out there training at yeah. at Irvine. How things have been going? Unbelievable, man. It's like right now, it's a crazy part of my career. You know, it's kind of like before um, everything kicks off, and right now I'm just being exposed to like a bunch of professionals who have dedicated their lives to you know one one part of the game of football. So. Um, I'm just soaking it all up and just, you know, shoot, getting better. I'm sure you're working on, like, all of the drills that you'll be running at your pro day in the future. And, and But are there any specific drills that you're putting extra emphasis on or any goal times that you have that you're working on? I'd be interested to know, you know, if you have, like, certain drills in mind, like, I have to hit on this drill, I have to hit on this drill, or um, if you're setting any goals for those. Did I lose you? Um, oh, there you I'm are. Not gonna give, I'm not going <laughs> to give you a number. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to give you a number just because I'm going to keep the, keep that close to the chest. Uh, but the 40, um, I'll run pretty well. But that's go. that's kind of that's been the main focus. And then you know, obviously the other stuff too. You can't you know um, just forget about other things. And then, what weight did you play at uh, this past year at Washington? Do you have a goal weight in mind right now? And I've been at like 190, 192 for the past couple of years. Um, my body's kind of changed. I put on more muscle and I'm more lean, but I've stayed at 192. So I'll probably be between 192, 195. A lot of the conversation around, I think, your draft stock or your profile, your scouting report, whatever it may be, will be about where you play in the NFL. I think PFF sees you more as a slot safety type I think you could play outside corner I think you could stay at slot corner maybe even play deep safety do you have a position in mind that you cater your strengths to or do you feel that you could play anything you are this chess piece at the next level no so yeah I mean I'd be uh every week I'd be getting grades from you guys and whatnot one week Mm -hmm. I I was at corner another week I was at safety but like you were saying like um I, I view myself as a chess piece um someone who could play all over someone who can, you know, maybe week to week it changes. So and I, I embrace that role. It's it's tough. It was really tough early on as a young, as a freshman, as a sophomore at UW. Um, but, you know, I got confidence and shoot, now, now I can play all over. I know the defense pretty well. And I think my technique um, is solid anywhere. Have teams given you any feedback on, like, where they'd like to play you in the NFL? I'm not sure if you've met with teams yet via Zoom or any of those things, but I'm interested to know if, like, you've received feedback from your coaches, the people you're training with at Irvine, like, hey, this is your role in the NFL. This is what you need to do. What what have you heard in that regard? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's pretty cool. Like, a lot of teams I've met with, um, they don't put me in a box, you know what I mean? They don't, they don't say, oh, I'm only a nickel. I hate, I hate hearing that. I hate hearing, oh, you're only a nickel, man. So if you want to pick a fight with me, say that. <laughs> um, but they, 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 they kind of view me as how I view myself, someone who could play all over. Um, some people say nickel corner. Some people say nickel safety. Um, man, as long as I'm on the field, I'm not going to be complaining. And, and the thing is, like, just a nickel, it's kind of like, 
you know, nickel corner, you know, slot cornerbacks start in today's NFL, and they're also one of the more valuable positions on the defensive side. I think gone are the days where we're talking about slot corners as this lesser position. I do think it's honestly harder. I've talked to, you know, Richard Sherman in the past, who is kind of known for like staying on one side of the field, working yeah. his side of the field. And while other cornerbacks like Darius Slay or Marlon Humphrey will follow guys into the slot yeah. and those things, he talks about slot corner being harder. Like, so you're giving guys two way goes. Like, if you're playing press from the slot, you're working two way goes all the time and they have more space to work. So, I definitely think that the, the slander towards the just the nickel is, is, a, is a little too much. Um, talk to me more about, you know, at your time at Washington, playing such a diverse role there. What went into a given game week from a preparation standpoint? How much film were you watching? What were you looking for when you're turning on an opponent's film? How much filmed over yourself yeah. are you watching? I'd be interested to know, like, a week of game planning, what it looks like for you. Dude, I, I geek out over film. Like, if I if I took you through my routine, then we'd be on here for another 20 minutes. Um, I mean, usually, like, I start off the week with kind of like a spreadsheet, just kind of analyzing the offense starts pretty like pretty simple names um, names of the best players name of quarterback offensive coordinator where they come from and then it starts to get more focused like you know strengths and weaknesses of the quarterback maybe he rolls out left maybe he um maybe he stares on his receivers um and then I'll kind of like take away a handful of plays from the offense uh, especially when they get in the when they get in one specific formation more often than not there's going to be like two or three plays if you take away and then they're going to be struggling. So um, I start with that. And then throughout the week, I'm also watching a, a lot of other stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't want to bore you guys. <laughs> You're not boring me, man. I, I like it. I, in game, I think with defensive backs specifically, it's kind of common to play this mental game within the game where you're talking a little bit, talking some trash and trying to work an opponent specifically because you know, defensive backs, even slot corners, outside corners, will see the same guys over and over, and it largely is a one-on-one -on -one matchup yeah. a lot of the time. How much are you talking trash? How much are you playing the mental side of it in-game? Yeah, I don't really talk too much trash, unless it's the Apple Cup. Um, have to have to do it for the Apple Cup, dude. They hang the flag on that building in Seattle. I've been to Seattle a handful of times. It's, it's a big deal in yeah. Seattle, man. It's everything. Yeah, I mean, we, we get after it. Um, but really, I don't, I don't talk too much trash. So there'll be some times where, like, after a play, I'll make a I'll make a play, and I kind of black – like, I black out. Like, I don't remember anything. I've, I'll say something, and I'm like, whoa. Um, but, man, I mean, football isn't just, you know, lining up and trying to get eight yards a play or trying to, trying to get a touchdown. I think it's a lot more – there's a dynamic with the – you know, with your teammates and with the opponent across from you. Um, so much goes on pre-snap and so much is so much is psychological, really. So I think that once when I started focusing on that part of the game, that's when I started to see uh, my level of play increase. And, and to be honest, I feel like I'm just getting started. I, I think the elephant in the room, anytime you talk to a Washington defensive back, is how quickly are you going to mention Jimmy Lake? You know, a guy that has yeah. like legitimately churned out so much talent out of UW over the recent years. Byron Murphy, Marcus Peters, Kevin King. I mean, they're guys that come out of UW that are built different. It's kind of a cliche today, but honestly, these guys come in super developed, super well coached. It's kind of what that, that reputation I think Iowa used to have or maybe still has with like bringing out guys that have a ton of knowledge, very cerebral players. But Jimmy Lake, talk to me about the impact he's had on you. Man, tremendous. I think that was that was a big part of what, you know, uh, drew me to Washington. 
I could have went to a couple other programs. Um, obviously, being from Oregon, the Ducks were a, a close contender. But what pulled me from, you know, from the 503 is just him. And I knew, like, if I go to UW, he's going to develop me the most as a player and then also, like, as a man. Um, and shoot, like, I mean, he he's so good at teaching players, like, concepts, not just, okay, line up and play this technique. It's like, no, he wants to show you the whole picture of the defense. And once when you do that, like, then that's when you can play multiple positions because you know how the defense flows together. Um, and, I mean, for whatever reason, like, UW doesn't get a whole lot of attention when it comes to the type of players we, we put out, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like on the East Coast, not, not a whole lot of people know about us. Um, honestly, I couldn't care less. At the end of the day, we're on the field making plays. How upset was your dad, who I know is in the, like, I think, University of Oregon Hall of Fame, when you turned mm-hmm. down the Oregon Ducks to go to Washington? Man, not, not upset at all. <laughs> That's good. Um, he actually wanted me to go to Washington just because of Coach Lake and because of all the connections that Seattle has to offer. Um, but he still wears his Oregon sweatshirt. I think he wore it today. Uh-oh. He came out here. He watched me train out here, and he had the, the U of O sweatshirt on, so – it will yeah. be an NFL sweatshirt here pretty soon. The other thing I had to ask about reading into your background, and I do a lot of the, mm-hmm. the background work for PFF's draft guide, one of eight children, second oldest, mm-hmm. I think is what I saw. There has to be some competitive fire born into that. When you are one of eight kids, it has to be an, a surreal experience in terms of just the level of competition, how often you guys are you know, like playing as kids and growing mm-hmm. up together. How much did that fuel kind of the mentality you bring to the field today? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I'm the second oldest, so really it's just me and my brother going at it. Um, but now it's, it's funny starting to see my younger siblings, like, try and compete with me. My favorite thing, the favorite thing my brother loves to say to me is, like, when you were my age, I was faster than you. When you were my – all this stuff. <laughs> so it's definitely there. And, um, shoot, yeah, I think, it, I think it's always been there. Our family is – you know, we're big on faith and we're big on football. You know what I mean? So uh, I love it. That's awesome, man. I really appreciate you setting aside the time to talk to us, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward, man. Yeah, dog. Appreciate you, man. <sighs> Joining the 241 Drafts podcast is former UC, USC defensive tackle Marlon Tui-Pelotu. Marlon, great to have you on the pod. No, thank you guys for having me. Of course, it. man. Of course. I, I, I heard you're out there in Arizona training with Exos. How's that been so far? Oh, it's been great so far. Great people just trying to just trying to learn. Who's, trying your to get- work, who's your workout partner right now? Who are you working with? I work out with um, – right now is Robert Hainsey. He's my mm-hmm. workout partner for the bench, and then squat is just whoever. Whoever yeah. can swing it? Are you just the big dog at the squat? Why, why is it whoever? <laughs> I just ran them because, like, we're basically kind of like individuals when it comes to, like, lower leg lifts and stuff like that. What are you, where, what are, you and Hainsey lifting on bench right now? What are you repping? Shoot. Uh, Hainsey's doing good. He's, like he's, – he's, he's high, up, high up there in the 30s, and I'm just trying to, you know, in the 20s, like high 20s. Gotcha. Yeah, I got a role model in Hainsey. That's awesome. So, right. I mean, obviously working the bench, working squat and those different things. Are there any other combine drills that you're prioritizing? I'm sure you're doing a ton of different things, but are there any other drills that you're prioritizing? Like, hey, I got to nail the three cone. I got to nail the 40. I'm interested to know if you're setting any goals for specific drills. I mean, just what we're, we're doing at Exos is we're just trying to get better in our starts and like in the 40s and things like that. Like just trying to focus on my 10-yard split. And then uh, just the three cone and then also working uh, position drills as well. And, and what weight did you play at this past season? Are you working towards a new way? As, have you received feedback about playing a different weight? I'm interested to know that. Um, yeah, I, I played around. I, I was floating between 300, 305 during the season. 
And right now I'm around like 308 uh, off the senior bowl. So just trying to stay in between uh, 300, 310. Like around nice, that reach. Right. Very cool. Before we dive into kind of your career at USC, I wanted to turn back the clocks a little bit and look at your recruiting background. Also the family, you, you got, you got some studs in the family, Marlon, which is awesome. <laughs> but uh four four star recruit had, I think what 15 or close to 15 scholarship offers coming out a lot on the West coast. What went into that decision to go to USC? Uh, just being uh, from Cali, uh, raised, being raised in California, uh, in like Hawthorne, uh, I was, USC was my dream school. So uh, just going to USC, like that felt like the place to be. Yeah, California, man. I miss it. Like I said, I, I've said this before we jumped on, but I'm from Oakland, California, and now based yeah. in Cincinnati here at PFF. I miss California every single day. My dad texts me, and he's like, yeah, it's a little cold here. It's in the 60s. It's like, dude, you don't know what I'm working with here. It's yeah. like 15 degrees in Cincinnati. Um, and so also, like, how competitive is the family, the, you know, the Tui Pelotu family? Because the, obviously your brother, who's a fellow defensive lineman, Tuli, is a fellow defensive lineman at USC. Your cousin, also there at USC, Talanoa Hufanga. And then you have a, another cousin, former NFL defensive tackle, Philly Moala. I mean, that has to be, that's just a group of studs. I'm sure the Thanksgiving dinners must be a riot. Now, yeah, especially when my little brother and Talanoa just going to school together this past year and, and things like that. It could get really competitive, where it's like, whether it's like basketball or video games, like, we always try to be the best in, in all those uh, categories. What video games are you playing? What, what are you guys going against? Madden, I'm sure? Uh, right now it's Warzone. So we've Fair. been big Warzone lately. So right now, uh, uh, Thule got, got, got the advantage right now. So we're just trying to catch up. <laughs> it's always the younger brother with the video games, man. I'm yeah. telling you. like I feel like my younger brother was dominant uh, with video games for sure. But let's go ahead and get into your career at USC. Obviously, you know, played a ton in, in, in 2018 and 2019. Over 450 snaps played in both those games. And then this past year, talk to me about this past season. Because obviously the Pac-12 season was largely canceled. And then it came back because of COVID-19 concerns. You come back. How how crazy was this offseason preparing for 2020 for you? And how much did it really impact now your performance on the field? Yeah, so once we found out uh, things were getting canceled, like me and my little brother and T, but like we were just continuing to do our, like, our own workouts just to stay in shape because you never know like if the season was going to happen. And uh, we just continued to just work on our game and things like that. And then and then once we got to the season, like we felt like we were ready to, to just go out there and play ball. And you were kind of like the dynamic duo, you and uh, Jay Tufele, who's another you know, defensive tackle in this draft class. I think I'm pronouncing that name right, I hope. But then he opts out for the 2020 season and kind of put you in this in the limelight, put you in this premier role. Talk to me about the difference between you know playing with him in 2018, 2019, and then obviously not playing with him in 2020. Right. Um, basically, playing with Jay was, was a lot of fun, you know, just growing up with him, like, throughout high school recruiting and things like that. I've known Jane for a while and just like how, how, how good of a player he is on the field. Like you can tell like when he wasn't there, but like uh, with us, our mentality was pretty much just a uh, next man up. So once, once we uh, found out Jay was opting out, like it was just time for us to just continue to work and, and build off of, uh, build off of it and just continue to win games. I want to give some USC fans some hope for next season. And I think that the guy, Keaton Slovis, I mean, he's a guy that's highly regarded. I'd love to hear your scouting report on potentially a top 2022 quarterback prospect in Keaton Slovis. Right. Now, Keaton's, Keaton's a great ball player. I mean, he showed that these past two seasons. Um, like, people didn't know him uh, coming into the 2019 season, but obviously, like, we saw what he could have done and then just how much of a competitor he is in practice. Like, he's a great uh, football player. Like, good teammate and things like that. And I'm excited to see what him and the rest of the guys uh, got going for this coming season. 
What kind of what kind of guy is Keaton off the field in the locker room? Is he playing Warzone with you guys? I'd love to get a couple stories here. Give me, let, let me get give me inside Keaton Slovis. I mean, yeah, Keaton 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 plays Warzone, but uh, I'm mostly with my brothers, like playing with them. So he has his own group that he plays with. But Keaton's a good guy and and a good teammate. Yeah, the, the 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 Warzone squads, it's tried and true. You know, you can't break yeah. away from those. Um, yeah. You know, you also had an opportunity to go down there at the Senior Bowl, go to Mobile, Alabama, and play there, working the one on ones, playing that game. Talk to me about that experience and, and what you learned from working with the NFL coaches and being around so many you know talented NFL draft prospects. Right, exactly. Just going there and just trying to showcase my abilities, and then just trying to show what, uh, what more I can do on the football field, and then just just trying to listen and learn more from from a NFL coaching staff. So while I was there, I was just trying to learn as much as I could and then just continue to showcase my talents against like the best uh, best seniors in this upcoming draft. Which interior offensive lineman gave you the most fits down there in Mobile? Mobile, uh, they were all pretty good, but so far it was pretty, it was uh, David Moore, mm-hmm. uh, Grambling State, I think. Yeah, he was yeah. a good football player. Yeah, Grambling State, that guy really rose up boards after that performance there at the Senior Bowl. I wanted yeah. to get um, your take on this, too. You know, PFF sees one of your biggest strengths in uh, compared to other defensive tackles in this class is your run defense. It's been one of the better, you know, it's been one of the better traits for you over the past three years. It's been also been very consistent. Is that right. something you take pride in? Do you feel like your run defense is kind of what separates you in this class? I'd be interested to know what you feel of that strength and what other strengths you do have. No, yeah, for sure. I felt like uh, my run defense, like just being consistent in that uh, in that regard, like I felt like I've shown that over these past three years, and I'm just trying to continue to get better at that, and then also showcase my other the other abilities that I haven't quite shown, but I know I can do. Yeah, I mean, adding to that, I think as a pass rusher, you know, with the NFL being such a passing league, like you have to get, you know, the best interior defensive line in the NFL are elite pass rushers can win off the snap and all those things. What are you doing now to work those pass rush moves, work explosiveness at the snap? I'm interested to know, you know what coaches are working with, what players are working with to get better as a pass rusher. Yeah, so we have a great group of uh, the linemen at Exos right now. So we're all just continuing to learn from uh, Coach B, uh, BT Jordan. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of him, but shout out to Coach Jordan. Um, he's just been trying to get us right uh, ever since we got here. So um, just continuing to learn his techniques, like just trying to get off the ball, like using our hands better, like using certain techniques just for uh, us to become more successful in the past. Do you have a go-to pass rush move when you feel like you're tried and true? And then what's your primary counter off that? I find it interesting talking to, you know, defensive linemen about their pass rush plan, what, you know, what their primary move is, what counters they work off that and how they develop their plan. Right. Um, so uh, in college, uh, just pretty much just trying to use my power, uh, just bull rushing and then push pull off of that as well. And then the long arm stab is what I like to use. So those two moves are like my, my favorite uh, in college. The bull rush to the push pull is definitely one of the better ex- I mean, when you can have that primary encounter, it's one of the most hashtag fun to watch moves that we do have. Uh, I, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is if you could give any insight on, you know, what you do from a game film perspective, studying each week, you know, when you're going into a certain opponent, what are you looking for from that opposing offensive lineman? What tendencies are you looking for on film? Yeah. So how I, how I break down my, my tape is first, I like try to focus on myself first just to see like, things that I, I could do better and then continue to grow off grow off of, of what I've done uh, well and consistently. And then once I'm done with that, just continue to look at, at uh, opponents and then just seeing um, like what kind of formations they like, uh, where they where the back is lined up, uh, where the tight ends lined up, just things like that that can give me like a slight edge and understanding where the, where the play is going to go and things like that. 
And how has that film study kind of changed in the offseason? Are you watching a ton of film on yourself? Are you watching film on NFL guys? What What are you looking for right now? Um, During the offseason, it's more about myself and then just watching like a couple of NFL guys and then just trying to get with my, my coaches in college and, and seeing what um, I need to continue to grow on from a player standpoint. Are, are there any NFL players that you watch a ton of or guys that you kind of emulate your game after? If you had to give yourself a player comparison, do you have any of those in mind? I like watching uh, Geno Atkins and uh, Deron Payne. Just, mm-hmm. uh, uh, with Deron Payne, just how, how much of a, a excellent run stuffer he is, especially at Alabama, just showing how, how much he can stop the run and then just showing uh, like the potential as a pass rusher. I feel like that's something I can I can show off as well. And then just Geno Atkins, just because we have, like, the same build, I guess, same height, like, we're not too tall. Um, and then, yeah, just watching uh, how explosive he and quick off the ball he is uh, with Geno Atkins as well. Explosive, quick, wins with his hands. And I'll say this about Geno Atkins being a Cincinnati guy, effort out of the room. I mean, that guy's got a motor that does not stop. It's a big reason why he's been able to play as well as he has for so long in the NFL. Marlon, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate you jumping on the podcast. And, like, uh, I really wish you the best of luck moving forward. No, I appreciate it, Austin. Thank you. Thank you.